Welcome to today's episode of Neural Pathways, where your neuroscience degree can take you, where we explore the wealth of career options out there for neuroscience grads. I'm your host, Rana Gafuri, and this podcast is presented by Healthy Brains, Healthy Lives at McGill University. and thanks for tuning in. For our first episode, I am talking to Dr. Jean Mary Zarate. Jean finished her studies at McGill in 2009 after completing a master's and a PhD in the neuroscience program. She's currently working as a senior editor at Nature Neuroscience. Hi, Jean. Thanks so much for talking to me today. Oh, thanks for reaching out to me. So you're a senior editor at Nature Neuroscience. Can you tell me a bit about what this position entails? As a manuscript editor, regardless if you're an associate editor, which is the level below, or a senior editor, uh, which is my current position, we read all of the research or review submissions that are sent to the journal from the opening cover letter to Uh, front to back of each paper. And we assess them for how they match up with our journal's criteria. Also for the overall level of rigor, is it strong? Is the question interesting? And assess all of those things against our editorial bar for what we would like to publish in the journal. And that's basically on a day-to-day basis. We shepherd each submission through the entire editorial process, whether it's a desk rejection without review, or once we start review all the way to final conclusion, whether it's accept or not. So you moved up to the senior editor position from? From, uh, yes, when I was first hired. So I've been at this uh, journal now for a little over six years. Back then in 2013, there were three levels. There was assistant, associate, and senior. So I progressed in that fashion. But now as of this particular year, the end of 2019, There are two levels. When you get hired, it is associate editor, start as an associate. And then you get to get promoted to senior, depending on how long you've been there and the kind of achievements you've been able to accomplish during your first few years of tenure. So lots of scientific readings. (laughs) A lot of scientific readings. And so besides that, this varies per journal, per any nature branded journal, but we also try to go to a good number of conferences for the research communities that we serve. And we interface personally with potential authors, reviewers, and up and coming scientists. So senior students, postdocs, and we get to find out about the newest research that's coming out and hasn't even been put in a print server or poster yet. Uh, We visit labs as well. So there's a lot of face-to-face time besides sitting down and reading. But that's really interesting. You get to hear about like such new and different scientific discoveries, I guess, before anybody else does. What did you do your PhD in yourself? You were here at the IPN? I was. I was there before it was even called the IPN. Um, Right. It was just neuroscience? Yes, it was neuroscience. So I did my master's first at McGill um, and it was a master's in neurological sciences. And then by the time I switched over, I stopped at the master's, which was based at the Douglas Hospital Research Center. I switched over to the Montreal Neurological Institute for my PhD. And then the program just became neuroscience. And as I left, it became the IPN. Um, So my master's was in the genetic factors underlying the treatment of schizophrenia. And my PhD was on auditory cognitive neuroscience, auditory motor integration for vocal pitch. It it was um, an interesting trajectory to go from my master's to my PhD. 
Uh, right, because you, did you guys not have the option to fast track or you just didn't like your project enough? Uh, we did have the fast track op- option, but what ended up happening was that I became allergic to my mice. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so the original intent at the Douglas was for me to continue on to the PhD. That was my agreement with my two co-supervisors. And about two years in, I it was just hundreds of mice, multiple hours a day, every day, I became really sensitive to them and I couldn't keep going. I had that feel, I kind of knew at that time that if I was to continue on this path, more for neuropsychological uh, treatment, uh, more along the disease route, uh, I might have to be exposed to rodents. A lot of animal work. For the rest of my career. And that's just not sustainable for my health. Uh, and at the same time, I had started to get to know more of students just in the department. And I found out that my future PhD advisor was just starting to look for new students. And it, it kind of spoke to my personal interests. So mm-hmm. my PhD advisor uh, was Robert Zatori. And he's really well known for studying how uh, music and the brain, auditory cognition and the brain. And uh, I'm a musician as well. So it just kind of, I had a very personal investment in the work that I did. So I, I'm a violinist and I'm also a singer. And my entire PhD thesis was kind of fueled by that. I wanted to know what were the brain regions involved in regulating our vocal pitch when we sang. And how did that change with musical expertise with singing training. That's really interesting. And like probably having that personal connection to it makes you so much more invested in that sort of research that you're doing. Were you involved in a lot of extracurriculars during your graduate studies? I was reluctantly so. So um, I am originally from New York and I'm back in New York now. So I changed countries, I changed cities, I, I kind of uprooted my life for this graduate degree. Uh, and I wanted to kind of leave the musical side behind. And probably within three months of starting at McGill and starting my uh, master's degree, I fell into another band. (laughs) And so that became my extracurricular activity uh, for a while. And it's actually through that band that I found a connection to uh, my future PhD lab because people in the band were working for repository already. So uh, I that's probably the strongest extracurricular I ever had. How do you think skills you gained in your extracurricular may have contributed to your career? I believe this strongly, and I say this to a lot of graduate students and postdocs who are trying to look for jobs outside of academia. Um, Everything counts, everything. If you play poker, if you're in a band, if you, I don't know, if you do volunteer work for something, every single piece of life experience counts. It's a matter of how reframe it for yourself. Because by the time you finish your master's and or your PhD, even your postdoc, you become so specialized in that area that you forget that you now know how to uh, manage projects. So every grant that you apply for and win is a budget. You're controlling your budget. Every paper you write is a project. It's a deliverable for the business world. Uh, You're managing resources that entire time. And outside of that, 
I was the musical director for this band for a couple of years, which meant I had to listen to what people wanted to do, make sure that they had the musical resources available to them, like sheet music, hear if there were any conflicts. That is also a soft skill, what they call soft skills that help you in the real world outside the lab. Right. So it's really just what you choose to take from it. That's what matters, right? Right. Everything counts, but you have to, you yourself have to, uh, recognize that first and then you can put that to everything that you want to apply for after your degrees yeah i think that's really helpful advice for people to actually just like participate in things that interest them and let that help them shape their learning what motivated you to pursue graduate studies in the first place and how have your career goals changed did you always think you were going to be a senior editor at nature neuroscience or (laughs) no um So the funny thing is that my end goal or what I thought was going to be my end goal for each of these degrees changed because of my life circumstances. So when I went to McGill uh, and started working at the Douglas, I thought it would be more clinically related. So I thought it could be pharmaceuticals in case I didn't get a professor position. And uh, when the allergy started to (laughs) exhibit then I thought long and hard. If I was going to switch to auditory cognitive neuroscience, I thought, okay, then this is going to be a fully academic track. Like my goal will become a tenure, uh, tenured professor because it, it, I don't, did not see as many extensions beyond that realm of expertise at the time. And I kept thinking that even through my postdoc, I came back to New York University for postdoc. Uh, and there I was exposed to some career development programs somewhat uh, akin to what you're doing now at McGill. Uh, There were panels with people from consulting, from pharmaceutical companies, from medical writing positions and whatnot. Uh, And I started casting a really wide net. So towards the end of my postdoc, I cast, uh, I applied for many professor positions and I was shortlisted and interviewing for one at UDM back there in Montreal at the same time that I applied for this job, which was a nine-month temporary position to cover for someone going on maternity leave. And then I applied for consulting and such. So by then, at the end of my postdoc, I was open to anything because I just knew that I needed a job. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. Yeah, to be very frank. I just needed Where did you look for these postings? Um, those career development programs at NYU helped a great deal. So they, they started putting some things out there and people gave cards and they told us that they were hiring so you could reach out. So a lot of this was through networking. Networking. It's a terrible word and everybody hates it. <laughs> but I, I believe that even just this conversation that you and I are having through your podcast is networking. You now know me and you can reach out to me if you have any questions. That's really kind. Thank you so much. Yeah. And I, I, I always warn people, chase me because, you know, all of our jobs. are Everyone's busy. so busy. Yeah. Yeah. But do I not see. be afraid. And here's why I say that. Because one time I reached out to someone to follow up on an email saying, hi, I just wanted to make sure that you saw this. I'm really interested in finding out more of your, uh, about your job after we met in person. And that person took me more seriously. That was her test. Because if you really care to see about how it, interested you actually are. Yeah. Exactly. So do not be afraid of that. Give it two to three weeks and follow up again. No, 
people will be grateful for the reminder, so long as you're polite. I did not get the professor position at UM or University of Montreal, just as well. I lost it to my friend, but that's that's going to happen. That's a, a hard reality to face when you get to that point that you will often be competing against your friends. And it, it is business and you have to kind of deal with that. <laughs> Um, so I reached out to the chief of the then chief of neuroscience and I said, I would like to know where am I? Does it look like I might be able to make it or is there another step beyond that? And she said, hold on, you're towards the top of our list. We want to see how things are going. Can you just give me a couple of weeks? And two more weeks went by. So I said, let me ask one more time. And so I did. And they said, yes, actually, let's have a phone call. And then she offered me the position. So nine months temporary and then i had to leave after that and i became a medical writer so going back to that story of following up with someone who you met at a, at a panel discussion or a career fair that's exactly what i did i had that person's business card and i reached out to her and i said i'm back on the job market and i kind of need to find a job quick <laughs> do you have any openings and she goes as a matter of fact we might thank you for reaching out to me and within three weeks, I lined up the next job. Networking is hard, but it's essential. It's how you're going to find it. It's important. Yeah. You can't be afraid to put yourself out there, I guess. It's yeah. a good message. Because <laughs> you never know, right? You won't know unless you try. I'm so guilty of this myself. I'm just, I just will be like, no, it's not going to work. I'm just not going to do it. So, and then I just like talk myself out of trying things, but it's important to try for sure. So then you ended up back at Nature Neuroscience. Yes. So, uh, about three months into my new job as a medical writer, I got another email from the chief and said, can we have a phone call? And then she told me that my predecessor, the person I was filling in for, was going to leave the company permanently. And I would have to apply again, but um, she was alerting to the uh, possibility that a job opening could be happening again. Uh, but it was because I told her as I was leaving the journal the first time. To let you know of any opportunities. Exactly. And I wanted to stay because it's a hard job. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It's not easy and it can be overwhelming at times, especially now during the holiday season when everybody is trying to clear their desks and okay. they want their papers in, in, in. And it just becomes this massive ball of papers that we're all trying to get through. So I, I basically said, now here's another thing that never, no one ever tells us. I know what my salary is going to be in two months time if I stay at this medical writing job. What can you do for me? Negotiation is another thing that no one ever tells us that we should start to learn how to master. Uh, so when I applied, I reapplied for that job. Uh, I was hired at the associate level, so I had a, a built-in promotion because it was the only way they could match uh, my... What my, you would have been getting at your medical writer. Yeah, and to be fair, I uh, was already... I had put in nine months of experience at that, at that job before. Yeah. The only thing I had not done was travel to conferences because my job was strictly to handle conferences in that for the nine months that my predecessor was gone. And here you are. <laughs> and so, here I am. <laughs> did you read a lot of 
articles during your grad studies that you like is that something you enjoyed doing because I think people struggle with that a lot like gotta go home and read <laughs> I gotta I ha- I'm gonna be completely honest because I say this every time I give a careers talk I don't like reading I don't <laughs> I really don't like it it was never my strong suit but this is a necessity for my job so I I do it I do it because I have to do it but no it is you can still do this job without having to like reading or keep up to be honest for me it's actually i'm excited to learn so this is probably one of those uh privileged positions where you get to learn about the other parts of neuroscience or field that uh whatever journal it's covering that you haven't seen since you were taking classes in it. You get to learn about those things again. So I have to now, in my position, be able to handle papers from two-thirds of the entire scope of science, all of them. No, I was, yeah, that must be super interesting because just like learning about all the different things that had nothing to do with your personal research. So if a current neuroscience graduate student is interested in uh, working as an editor for a journal mm-hmm. in the future of their career, what would you recommend for them to do during their graduate studies that might help them to prepare, get involved in these sorts of things? I think you can get involved in, say, writing a blog, forcing yourself to read outside of your area of expertise or interest, and summarizing that for someone else. Saying, I found this interesting, I'm going to write a small blog post about it, or put a picture up there and do post it on Instagram and talk about it in the description, or tweet about it something like that go to journal club meetings outside of you that no one has time for that but it's interesting <laughs> i i fully recognize this right i'm saying things that i did not do myself but even if you sit in there and none of but it's this it's good to know it's good to know you hear their jargon because the one problem that i find specifically in neuroscience is that everyone uses their specific terms that's hard to penetrate and hard to understand right. so expose yourself to that yeah and it'll make it a lot easier (laughs) maybe (laughs) (laughs) so finally what is the number one piece of advice that you would give yourself if you could go back to when you were a graduate student it will be okay (laughs) that's really reassuring (laughs) it will be okay you will have the skills to find a way to a job it may not be the job that you wanted at the beginning of your degree but trust that you will have the skills to get to where you need to go. Thank you for saying that. <laughs> Hearing you say that is very helpful to me myself. And thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. Thanks. So if you wanted to learn more about being a senior editor at a journal, check out the Neural Pathways webpage for resources. Thanks for tuning in to the first episode of Neural Pathways, presented by Healthy Brains, Healthy Lives. Don't forget to check out our website at mcgill.ca slash hbhl for links to more resources, and follow hbhl on Twitter at hbhlmcgill. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on your platform of choice so you never miss an episode. See you next time!